but if it's still profitable and you can make it work and you're getting patients in the door, keep it. But just think outside the box. What additional charges can I do within the session to get some cash coming in? I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to speak with a physical therapy practice owner that increased his average revenue per patient up to $1,746 this year. So $1,746 for a plan of care with a pre-tax profit margin of 18%, totaling $314. And what's interesting is completely cash-based, out-of-pocket, no in-network, no out-of-network at all. Today, we got Ron Miller on the pod. He's a physical therapist practice owner at Pursuit Physical Therapy down in Orlando, Florida. I've known Ron, I don't know, Ron, like what, eight, nine, 10 something years? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since PT Tech Talk. (laughs) It's been a a while, but I'm back at it, back at it with some content, audio, video. Here we go. So, why is uh, you posted this this morning? Let me share my screen here. If you happen to be on YouTube, then you'll see it. And definitely, if you're a physical therapist, practice owner, you should check out this group, Cash Based Physical Therapy Business Success on Facebook. But anyway, you shared this, Ron. Your patients are paying out of pocket on average over seventeen hundred bucks. How is that possible? What What are you doing? Yeah. Okay. So we are one hundred percent cash based, and over the past couple of years, my average revenue per patient was probably around. I think two years ago it was around fourteen hundred dollars. Last year it was around fifteen hundred dollars, and we redesigned our fee schedule this year, which directly correlated to this number going up. So the big change of what we did was really our evals used to be 165 and we were going towards more of a premium. So we changed our evals to $220 from 165. And then we redesigned our strategy also with, instead of doing individual sessions for 165, we made our individual sessions 185. So we increase our rates across the board, and then our packages averaged around 170 a session, but we'll have packages of 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25 sessions. So a five-session package is $850, a 10-session package is $1,700, a 15-session package is $2,550, and so-and-so, and like stuff like that. So that led to the direct correlation of increasing our average revenue per patient, which, you know, we see a lot of packages anyway. You know, I've learned through the hard time. If you just do individual sessions and just say you're treating more medical-esque, say you see an easy case and you know that you can get this patient better in two, three or four sessions and you just do individual sessions. What we found is that as the patient gets pain-free, that the value of spending 185 a session falls off. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need to come to PT anymore. So we actually like, we saw that trend happening and our solution to it was just to create a five session package. So now instead of just getting these individual sessions that come in just one or two sessions now, 
we kind of like get them into that smaller package. So it increases our revenue per patient also. So we also created that small package because in the past, our smallest package was a 10 session package. So we saw that trend going on. So we solved that. So I believe that from the evals going up to $220 or individual sessions going to 185 and creating that small package to kind of convert more easy cases into that package so we could finish the true treatment plan of care and make sure that they get through phase phase three of rehab, they're back to sport, whatever they want to do. I think those three changes really led to our direct correlation of increasing our revenue coming in per patient. Got it. So if there's any therapist or practice owner listening elsewhere across the country, wherever, how would you just, I want to come back to those numbers, but how would you describe like your area of Orlando? I know like Winter Garden is either you're in it or nearby. And I think that's like more of a, a wealthier or affluent area. But like, I'm sure you have patients and clients that come in that are not like millionaires, multimillionaires. They probably are cost conscious, but they, for multiple reasons, end up doing business with you guys and, and working with you guys. Because I, you know, from all the years of working with practice owners, like there's a ton of practice owners across the country that that will say, they'll listen to this, they'll hear this and they'll say, well, that that can't happen in my town or my city or my area where people nearby won't pay 100, 150, 200, 225, 250, whatever per visit out of pocket. Describe your area yeah. in terms of like wealth or affluence or the lack thereof or whatever, or like your, you know, anonymous, yeah. like patient mix and, and patient demographics. Yeah. I would say like Orlando in general is a wealthier area. It's a booming economy, a lot going on, a lot of competition, which is great for a cash-based practice. You know, I think cash-based practices will thrive in an oversaturated market because we're just going to do it better than everyone else. But Yes, it is a more affluent area. A lot of a very good economy here. There's lots of physical therapists on every corner. There's lots of physicians. There's lots of chiropractors. There's lots of massage therapists. There's lots of lawyers. So there's a lot of competition overall, a really good economy. But I've heard this somewhere else, though. It's not cash based physical therapy is not just seeing rich people who have plenty of means. Yes, it does help. And there are a lot of people that are wealthy and rich and who are willing to pay for a higher quality of care. But I would say that it's really about people who value the quality of healthcare. You know, it's like, for me, what do I value? Like I value sleeping good. So I'm willing to pay five to $8,000 for a mattress, which I thought I was insane at one point. And I actually, I was like, wait a minute, before I actually bought the mattress, I was like, Am I insane for buying a five or six thousand dollar mattress? So I texted ten of the wealthiest people that I know and asked them, "Hey, am I insane for paying five thousand for a mattress?" And everyone, everyone reported, "No, I spent eight. No, I spent seven five. I spent twelve on a Tempur-Pedic." So the point is, it's really about what do people value, and if people value the quality of their healthcare, they'll still pay cash for it. So there are some people that pull up and they're not uber wealthy. They're not driving a Mercedes. They're just the average Joe making ends meet, but they value the quality of their care and they like the one-on-one care. So it's really people who value high quality healthcare or your services and they see the value in it and they'll pay cash for that service. Like the other things that I value, I value good running shoes. I have very flat feet. So I'll pay $160 for a pair of running shoes. You know, some people may think, that's insane, but I have 
I want to keep on running pain free. So it doesn't bother me. I don't mind paying, you know, for a good steak. Sometimes I don't need a lot of red meat necessarily, but if I'm going out somewhere nice and it's like a celebration, I'll pay, you know, a lot of money for a steak. I'm trying to think what else I really like. With the, um, with the shoes, you buying Hoka's, you buying Asics? What are you buying? I'm not a Hoka guy. So since I have very flat feet, I'm the Asics 4000 guy. I have to special order them <laughs> because <laughs> they don't really sell them anymore. And then I have to put an orthot- a prefab orthotic in there still. So this is a crazy story, not to go off path. I hate the colors of Asics 4000s. They're just horrible colors. So I switched to a Brooks Glycerin. And I started running in them and I started getting chronic Achilles tears just because of the different type of shoe it was. And I just switched back to Asics. So it's kind of like ice cream. I don't eat ice cream a lot, but if I'm going to eat anything, I'm getting cookies and cream. And I just stay with Asics 4000s across the board. And that's the type of running shoe that works best for me that allows me to run pain free. But to go back to what we were talking about, about like demographics here. Yes. Orlando is a, Orlando is a wealthier place, but we don't see all wealthy people. I would say it's almost like a 60-40. 60 people are wealthy. 40% are middle class. Very rarely do we see a you know lower socioeconomic status unless they failed multiple treatment approaches. I always say like when someone asks me the three types of patients or what type of patients do uh, we see here, I see one, yes, obviously wealthy people who value the quality of their health care. We see two athletes who value getting to sport back faster and they're willing to pay cash for that. And then three is complex cases that have failed multiple treatment approaches. These, you know, those are our three main niche markets that we type of see. But like overall, if you can provide great value, whether you live in a nice city or just a small town, as long as you're providing value, to a nice market, I think you could definitely still charge cash for services. Now, eventually, I think the market's going to dictate on how high you can go. But I remember I used to charge 120, 150 a session back then. And I, and the market dictated that I can still go up and keep going up every year or two. We've raised our rates consistently. Now, when I first started, I didn't know it. I didn't know really anything. I was undercharging so much. But then the market continues to dictate that I'm I can charge higher and higher and higher because people are willing willing to pay for that. So yeah, got it. So that dollar amount, the 1746, 1746 average revenue per patient. Do you have an approximate, like if you broke it down by visits, like or if you if someone were to ask you, like on average, I know like some might be individual or now you're selling, you're offering like those lower, like smaller packages. And then if someone is, you know, moderate or complex, like you're, then you're presenting them with like a larger package. Do you know approximately like how many visits per plan of care or like average number of visits per patient per year? Like, is it six? Is it 10? Is it 15? I know that the average revenue per, per visit is probably like 175 ish. I would say we sell mostly I would say our average visit per case is you're probably flirting around 12 and 13 visits. Our most common package sold is the 10 session package. Second most is probably going to be the 15 session package. And then next would be the five session package. And then probably the 20 session package. That would be the order. But if I had to guess, I don't have it in front of me right now, 
but I would bet that our average number of visits per case would be around 12 or 13. It's halfway between that 10, 10 session package and halfway between the 15 session package. Got it. What if there was a in-network practice owner watching or listening and here's a comparison, which is like, so you're making 1746 per patient per year, like on average per plan of care. Some of your patients might come back for multiple plans of care, but for the most part, it might be like one plan of care per patient per year. So 1746 and the cash flow that you get from that, either even if it's per visit or package, and even if it's a payment plan, regardless of any of that, that money is hitting your bank account, your business bank account way sooner than waiting for insurance reimbursement, which could be two or three weeks, or in some cases, two or three months, or it could be longer in some cases, or if there's issues with billing or coding or or denials or whatever, right? So the, arguably, you're getting more revenue per patient per visit, and it's hitting your bank account sooner, which I know is that's part of the benefit of... It's not easy. We're not saying... I'm not saying it's easy, yeah. but that's the, that's the benefit of a practice owner like you who could probably sleep easier than an in-network practice owner who is getting less reimbursement, less payment reimbursement per visit and has to wait longer to get that money, to wait longer for it to hit the bank account. Dude, I remember seeing your one video where you interviewed that guy. He said there's 18 or 17 touch points or factors from the time you get the service until the time where you're actually paid or something like that. That blew my mind, but I'm sorry for interrupting. That just, yeah, but, yeah, that just Bob, Bob made Wall me think of that. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. different variables, like 17 of them, that influence the time from service to payment of something. I was like, that's insane. So anyway, I'm sorry for yeah. interrupting. Yeah, no, no. Bob Qualick, uh, he was on a couple of times before. So if there's a practice owner that's in-network that's watching or listening, like, do you have any like tips or ideas for them to, whether it's add cash pay services that are not medically necessary, like that are more on the wellness and performance side, you know, they could also drop one low paying contract at a time. I suggested recently, like you should speak to Sturdy McKee or Jamie Schreier or some coach or some business practice owner, practice owner coach that has done that before, like not just do it willy nilly on your own, but have a game plan around it and kind of do some modeling and do some spreadsheeting about it. But if a in-network practice owner, if, you know, if they texted you, they emailed you, they called you, whatever, like what would be some things for them to consider or like a potential game plan? They're not going to be able to just pivot immediately and just say, all right, tomorrow or January 1st, you know, we're, we no longer take any insurance at all. And our rate now is, you know, 165 a visit or 200 or whatever. So what would be like, what would be a potential starting point for them to consider if, you know, we're all sitting at a bar drinking a beer and they're like, man, Ron, you get paid sooner. You get paid more per visit. Like, that sounds great. I don't know if it's possible in my neighborhood or my zip code or whatever. What would be like one starting point or tip or idea to get them going? If you haven't noticed too, I think the APTA is catching on the cash base and they see the potential and the future of physical therapy with that. If you don't notice that the APTA now is kind of looking at one, allowing us to opt out. And then they're seeing the value of, they phrase it in a different way. They don't say cash-based physical therapy, but they see now that the future is going to be some sort of hybrid. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I have a bias towards cash-based. I would never go back to standard care, but they're starting to see now that the future of physical therapy is going to be some sort of hybrid because they see the trends and see what's going on, that the future is going to be of some sort of insurance slash cash service to allow private practice to kind of thrive still. So 
my recommendations is, you know, is kind of using your insurance physical therapy as your low level value ladder of getting patients in the door and using your insurance. And again, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yes, you may only be getting 5% pre-tax profit off of this, or at least 11 or 10, you know, your pre-tax profit off of your insurance model may be low, but if it's still profitable and you can make it work and you're getting patients in the door, keep it, but just think outside the box. What additional charges can I do within the session to get some cash coming in? Like the same thing of what people are doing with the Alter G's where they just charge like $50 to be able to use it. And that's cash coming in right there. Or a lot of people doing with like needling. If you want needling, it's an extra charge of this because um, who knows what insurance is reimbursing for needling. But if do you, you have do, personal... do, you guys, do you guys do you guys chart like that's an add-on? Because I know you started dry needling over the last like what two or three years or less. Ours is not an add-on. We just bump up our rates and and like reverse engineer it to make sure it works. But yes, you know, needling. If you're not needling, oh my goodness, it's a game changer. You will be able to upcharge and increase your revenue and your fee schedule if you start needling. Oh man, it's a game. Unfor- unfortunately, we can't do it in New yeah. York. It's, it's against know, the practice act. So yeah, but anyway, I highly recommend that because you'll be able to really help out a lot of people with that. But going back to that, like a per session thing, think of some things that you can add on that insurance doesn't cover. Educate them on that, and if they want to use the Alter G, if they want to get needling, if they want to do X treatment. Maybe you have an upcharge with that. That's cash along with the copay that is swiped right there. So you're increasing your revenue per visit. On the big picture side of things, you're going to have to try to add additional services or additional programs that are cash services. Like say you have a Medicare patient who's a, who's a total need. Okay. Your low level value ladder services are going to be your PT services with that. And when the plan of care is finished or Medicare cuts them off or he's done, then you follow them into the return to golf program. This is Dave Kittle's grip it and rip it off off the tee golf program <laughs> that costs X number of dollars over the next three months. We're going to work with you, whether it's a PT or a trainer or a combo of both. You're adding this additional service and program that they're willing to pay for to get the end result, which is they want to get back to golfing and playing 18 holes. So in the big picture of things, you got to create other services or other programs. Physicians have the same problem as us. I even had a physician patient who went into more business coaching and he was like, Ron, physicians have the same problem as like you guys do. You have a problem, you fix it with surgery and their lifetime value of the patient is like, it's just a one-time service and then it's done. So what are physicians doing to increase the revenue per patient? Okay, why don't we try an injection first and we'll do that. And the physician even told me, he's like, yeah, we know that the success rate of that's so bad. It's not working. So they do an injection first. They'll take an x-ray and then they'll, you know, okay, oh, that's not working. Let's try some synvis and see if that works. Then they'll do some synvis and then they'll take another x-ray and then, okay, that's not working. Let's do a three-part series injection and do this or let's try stem cells, which... The future is coming with stem cells, but uh, it may not be there just yet. But that's a whole other topic to uh, to uh, discuss. And they do all these other touch points and interventions 
And then they do the total knee replacement and then they do the total hip replacement and stuff like that. So everyone in medicine is doing it, but you have to find other services, other programs that you can add in to be able to charge cash for to keep the patient there, having other services and to increase your revenue per session. Got it. You track your numbers very well and a lot of practice owners don't do that. But that's another reason why I wanted to get you on here to kind of riff about these numbers because I think a lot of practice owners kind of like operate their practice by just like looking in their bank account and like, you know, how much how much money is in the bank account at the end of the month or, you know, a week or two before payroll or whatever. So hopefully by just chatting with you as a reminder for other practice owners, they need to get a little bit more of a grip around their numbers. And then you like, they'll be able to sleep better at night. Like they have the, if, you know, if, if you're taking all or, or most or some insurances, it becomes even more important, right? It becomes more important to have a grip on these numbers because you can then make better sense of like business decisions. You can maybe invest more in marketing efforts or SEO or Google or Facebook ads or whatever. How do you think of numbers? Like, is that something that like you were always savvy in? Did you like, I can't even recall. Did you have a business coach that kind of set you up with like numbers and, and no, spreadsheets? I honestly, and you just, just it? I honestly just started reading books, whether it's a finance book or tax strategies and stuff like that and understanding a P&L statement or a cash flow. You know, it's like, once you start reading books and you realize it, um, it, it, it actually is fun. I like looking at the numbers. I like seeing the numbers. I block time on Friday afternoons just because every all of my staff is sending me their scorecards and I get to enter in the numbers into my master scorecard. And I actually like seeing the numbers because the truth is going to be in the numbers. Like people will just say, Oh, my revenue is this or, Oh, this, my average cost per this is this. And it's like, if you can track the numbers, you can start to predict trends. And if you can see trends, you can solve problems before they happen. Okay. So as a business owner, and as you start to grow a business, it's very important to start tracking numbers and have a system in place where you can see everything. Like a perfect example is just before I got on this with you, I was planning my vivid vision for the next three years. I just completed my last vivid vision and we fell short of that. So now I'm sitting here for a couple hours, just brainstorming and thinking, what's, what's, what's the vision for my company? What are the numbers that I'm going to want to reach in the next three years? How much growth do I want? If you ever read the book by, is it Cam Cameron, Double Vision or whatever? He teaches the concept of a vivid vision where over the next three years, I'm going to go 30%, 25%, and 20%, and you almost double your actual business in a matter of three years. So you start off with that and then you start reverse engineering. Okay, so I have to get to a million in sales. How many patients is that going to be? Okay, at my current conversion rate, how many evals is that going to be? And then at my current conversion rate on the phone, how many leads do I need to generate that? So it almost became like it almost becomes a game and a problem that you have to solve where over the next week or so, I'm going to finalize my details of my vivid vision, what our goals are for next year. And I'm doing this late, by the way. I should have had this done in October, by the way. But one of my PTs left. She ended up moving back to Nashville. So I ended up having to pick up some treating time again. And I rehired someone literally from a Facebook ad. I was like, how can I recruit the top talent around Orlando without doing the least amount of work? 
launched a Facebook ad pay, by the end of the ad, week. Paid ads, baby. We had a lead that turned into like the new hire and she's starting actual next week. So I'm bringing her on, but I have to finalize our goals for next year. What's the bonus program look like? Make sure that my numbers work. I don't want to give a bonus that's that's too much, you know, but I also want to create a bonus program that's worthwhile that the other staff PTs actually want to strive for and stuff like that. So you really have to know your numbers and the truth is in the numbers. You may think you're doing well, but all of a sudden your expenses went up a little bit. Oh man, where's all the money that was supposed to be there? And you realize that your expenses went up and now your profits, profits kind of like went down and stuff. So I love keeping, I mean, at first it's, it's hard because it's something new, but now I love seeing the numbers. I love my time on Fridays where I just get to look at the business numbers to see how the business is doing. And then if you track numbers and you track the right numbers, you can predict trends and solve problems before they even happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Are all your therapists, are they 1099s? Are they W-2s? Are they paid per visit? So they're W-2s, but they're pay, are they paid per visit or no? Yes. Okay. Because I know that's like one thing that um, I'm a huge fan of. Like, because So it's great. It's great for the practice owner. But, yeah. you know, the future economy is going to be productivity. Like, I forget. It's like a, Eric Worre wrote this book, GoPro. It's all about the future economy, that everything's going to be a production-based stat. Like, people who, like, say you look at hotels and the cleaning staff. The cleaning staff is going to get a really low base salary, and they're going to get paid off of the number of rooms they clean. They're not going to get a whole salary anymore. It's more efficient for for the business and it incentivizes them to clean more, to clean more, more rooms. So yes, they are W-2s. We do provide benefits and we do have, you know, APTA membership, con ed stuff. We do provide healthcare and membership to a concierge physician. So we do do that also. And they are W-2 employees, but they are paid based off of the patient visit. And then their bonus program is based off of sales. So they're, they're kind of like PT slash salesmen and saleswomen. So, yeah. Do you think there's going to be, well, I mean, your practice, you're, you know, you got it dialed in and figured out, but uh, Sturdy McKee mentioned to me before that PTs, physical therapists in general, like a steady paycheck and they don't like, and he tried it and others have tried it. And there's uh, different tools. Like there's a, there's a company called Onus One where the staff PTs, they use this, it's basically like a spreadsheeting type software and I'm not getting paid by mentioning it, but uh, it's kind of like owners can pay a therapist like half half fixed salary and the other half is productivity based or different variations of that. And uh, Sturdy and others have said like, you know, PTs, they don't like any risk or they, they like the consistency of what, they know what they're going to make every two weeks and they like that consistency. But that goes against what you're saying. At least, I mean, it's working for you, which is awesome. But there's other therapists like that, that maybe it would scare them away or it's just yeah. not what they're not how the mind is geared for a lot of therapists for the type of person who is drawn to a physical therapy program, goes through DPT yeah. school and then comes into healthcare, or, you know, in physical therapy. For whatever reason, like most folks that are geared that way don't want to have the risk or the the fluctuation of income based on their productivity. Yes, it is. Yeah, risky, but, 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 but maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. I don't know. But you have to attract the right type of person. I don't want an average physiotherapist that just wants to get by with an average salary. 
I want a physical therapist that wants to be the best, that wants to get paid well for the value they bring and wants to make a lot more money than standard care. So yes, there's risk versus benefit in any kind of structure you have. And you have to, if you want to run a production-based system, you need to attract the type of therapist that wants to thrive in that system. So yes, there is a little bit of risk and it's not so safe working here at first. But as soon as the market, you know, we can combat that too with like marketing strategies and like stuff like that to make sure that the onboarding process for my new PT picks up. Like we have a, we have a Facebook ad campaign that's already ready to go next week and she's starting in like a week from now. So we're going to launch that already to make sure that my PT's schedule is. So a patient facing marketing campaign to get more new patients, new leads, new prospective patients into your funnel and into your world. Yeah. Correct. But I mean, I agree. Most of our profession probably does like a steady paycheck, but then their pay is going to be here. It's cats. And then if you do that hybrid stuff, if you have like a, like a part base salary and then incentivize, maybe your salary is going to be here, but in a production based system, as in any sales role, the salespeople get paid up here. So in that production role, you'll have more potential to get paid more. To a point. So, I mean, everyone can choose what they are comfortable with doing. But if someone is having a problem with hiring PTs that just want a base salary because it's safe and comfortable, I think yet they have to try to attract a different type of physical therapist. Right. Makes sense. You've been gracious with your time. We've had a good uh, pre interview before we started recording. So, I appreciate your time. It was great to catch up, Ron. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year. And um, any final uh, recap or thought for practice owners out there? I think the main thing is know your numbers and then start brainstorming for next year of like whether you're insurance or whether you're cash-based insurance, start thinking of new ways to increase your revenue per visit and then think of other programs that you can add, you know, to get some people into like a cash-paying program and you would agree with this one probably is it if you're cash based and you're running at 85% capacity or more, start bumping up your rates. <laughs> That's right. That's so right. I actually have a financial advisor patient that actually tells me every time, have you raised your rates yet? Have you raised your rates? He's like, Ron, I want to come in, but I'm only going to come in if you raised your rates. <laughs> oh, wow. Love it. That's, that's a, so, that is a, that's a true uh, raving fan. Love it. He, he is. He is hilarious. Anyway. Have a Merry Christmas. It was very nice seeing you again. Go birds. Your Steelers haven't been playing all that yeah, well. I know. Yeah. yeah. But next man, up, next up, next topic. Right next up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just yeah, we just lost two or three in a row. So anyway, Ron, great to catch up. We'll get you on here in the new year and uh we'll we'll do some more uh topics around cash based PT. Perfect. Take it easy. All right, cool. Bye now. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.